Hello, welcome to Overburden, the podcast for postal workers. I'm Kevin Hitchings. And I'm Brandy Hugh. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about how uh, instant investigations go with Al Josh. Me and Brand have both served Al Josh for quite a few years. And for someone who's newer that's listening, Al Josh is the local joint health and safety committee that's supposed to investigate all hazards and incidents in the depot or on the street or anything that happens out there. Yeah, and also to um, take preventative action by uh, making uh, plans and systems to keep people safe on the workload. Right, basically anything health and safety related. Um, But today we're mostly just going to be talking about what happens if uh, you do get hurt out there on the job and how the committees handle that. Hopefully this is another one of those podcasts that you'll never use or care about. But if you do or something happens, this is what we're doing when we get there. Yeah, so obviously this process would start uh, where something happened when you were at work, uh, where you either were injured or were nearly injured. Um, So if you're not if there's no, no injury that actually occurs, but something could have gone really wrong, but you just were lucky this time, we call that a near miss. Right, and that would include uh, vehicle things, like if your vehicle's parked and someone hits it at the time, just because you weren't in it, it doesn't mean it wasn't a hazard. Uh, it also includes anything that happens on the premises. So it doesn't matter if it's a contractor coming in or if some member of the public comes in to pick up their mail and they slip on the ice and hurt themselves or even a supervisor, just because it's a supervisor, it doesn't mean that it's not the health and safety committee's job to investigate that. And half of that committee is always CUPW members. We did it again, the same thing we all do, hurt themselves. Right. (laughs) And this is one of my pet peeves and I do it too. And it's just that when someone is hurt at work, we say they hurt themselves. And uh, just the language that we use there, it kind of infers blame on the uh, injured party rather than saying they were hurt at work. Because often it's the situation that caused the injury and not so much the person. You know, they were just wrong place, wrong time, right? <laughs> and the corporation will never acknowledge that. They always blame the person. Uh, unless it's a supervisor, I found, then it's, you know, something that just happened. But if it's a, a what they would consider a low-level worker, um, they would consider it's always your fault uh one more thing is just i forgot to mention at the top just for uh scheduling issues this is uh one of the episodes we're doing by zoom probably only the third or fourth out of 70 ish episodes we've done so if the sound quality is a little off or something that's why it sounds a little bit different so if someone is injured at work or has a near miss or some such thing like that they should after they take care of the situation, make sure everything's safe um, and call emergency help if they need to. You should, if you're able, call the supervisor right away. First thing the supervisor should always do is notify the union, have someone from the local joint health and safety committee, meet them on scene to investigate what happened. And any member of the committee should be trained in first aid as well. So we can take care of minor things that happen on site or or uh, take care of it while we're waiting for an ambulance if necessary. Um, not every single member is um, because they can choose not to be if they have reasons, which does happen. 
but most members will be trained. I think the point you were about to make about uh, sometimes it's an emergency situation and the first priority is to get to the hospital and to preserve life, right? And we right. can be in but ideally, yes, we should investigate right away as soon as possible before conditions change or before um, before uh, time has passed. Because um, especially with, with head injuries, a uh, person's memory of what actually happened in the incident can change over time as they try to fill in the blanks. Basically. Right. But there's no reason not to notify all Josh still because almost everybody has a speakerphone. They can call somebody usually by voice command on the way, um, or at least, you know, you can dial someone as you're getting into the car. They can always dial the office if they're worried about not being able to get a hold of someone. There's a health and safety officer. One of the executives will always answer a phone. Um, I've heard management many times try and say that they couldn't get a hold of a member to investigate something, um, which is garbage because they have lots of people they can call. Um, I've been half an hour out of town before off duty uh, after my shift and turned around and zipped back in for an investigation before there is absolutely no excuse for not doing everything they can to get a union member there from the committee um, or at least a union executive there and if for any reason any incidents you have hasn't happened you need to grieve that as soon as possible. Yeah they're required to have a, a member from the union present not only in our collective agreement, but also in the Canada Labor Code uh, to protect the injured employee and to make sure that everyone's uh, rights are protected. And I don't know, maybe your local is also having issue with um, a limited number of members on your committee, but um, I know at least in our city, we have, what, four different committees. So we've kind of agreed that we will help each other out. So if they can't get a hold of any of the three members on my committee, they will phone any of the members from one of the other committees in the city and we kind of fill in for each other as needed um, just because you know people work different shifts and they may not be available or even awake when the incident occurs right and we don't like it but as a last resort if for some reason absolutely nobody on a committee can come the union will assign a past member we don't let them call but the union will say hey we'll find somebody and they will call a past member even if we need to and there's another dozen people we can refer to so there's never a reason not to have a, a member there really um, and what we're going to do when we get there first is obviously make sure that the uh, injured party is all right um, if it was a near miss make sure it actually was a near miss someone will say oh i fell but i just I didn't hurt myself or some about my vehicle. And I didn't hurt myself. It's like, well, are you sure? And, you know, sometimes people play it off. It's actually, this is sore. I landed here. It's like, well, I can see a bruise there. So let's check it out or whatever. So any kind of, so we'll get a feel for the scene, uh, make sure there's no injuries. And then we go on to, okay, what happened here? Um, and kind of look for the cause without blaming anybody which is the reason you need CPW there because the employer is trying to do the opposite. They're trying to look for what did this person do wrong? We're trying to look for what causes this without blame. And that does cause some conflict sometimes. Yeah, often it might seem like your supervisor or the, the corporate member of the committee is trying to blame the employee. Uh, they'll say things like, were you walking too fast? 
Were you hurrying? Uh, were you not paying attention? Were you looking um, at something other than the ground when you were walking? Uh, were you not using safe listening techniques? Um, did you have earphones in? Did you not have your uh, get-a-grips on? Like It seems like just about any excuse. I've, I've even seen them ask to see the, the tread on people's footwear and we actually had an incident uh, recently where a, an injured member was asked to come back into work while they were um, not able to work just so that they could look at their footwear. It was ridiculous. Yeah, with the leg injury when they shouldn't even really be walking, they had them come all the way back into work. Uh, that's another thing the supervisors like to do is barely investigate or not investigate on the scene and just blow it off and then call the person back to answer questions when L. Josh is not there. Uh, they can definitely not do that either. Uh, anything they do to investigate, whether it's at the time or later, L. Josh has to be involved. And if they call you back to question you or get a statement out without L. Josh there or trying to bypass L. Josh, that is a serious grievance as well. Right. Uh, in the Urban Collective Agreement, it's Article 33, and in the RSMC, it's Article 24. And they both clearly state that, that uh, CPW representatives have to be there for all investigations and that they should get a report um, of all the findings from the investigations and that that should also be sent to the local of your union. So um, there should be a copy to your LDOS and a copy to your local. And I know sometimes our management says, well, we gave you one, so you send it to the local. And it's like, well, no, it's, your, it's actually their responsibility to send it both. <laughs> so. The other thing we're going to do when we get on scene and the collective agreement and the labor code does say it has to be done as soon as possible. So it should be done immediately, um, which means the person is usually still there. Uh, sometimes it's fairly minor and they want to keep delivering or sometimes they had to go for medical attention. But if the person wants to be an investigation, they can. Uh, unless, of course, it's not possible if they've gone to the hospital or something. Uh, because we do have to do it as soon as possible. And if you couldn't stay on the scene, then we may do it without you. But generally, you can be there if you like. Um, the first thing we'll do, first thing we'll do after making sure everything is okay, is get an idea of what happened again. And then usually, if it's on a residential property, is ring the bell and talk to whoever's living there and uh, let them know what happened. Um, by then, we should know roughly um, anything that help cause the incident to ice, um, uneven sidewalk, this kind of thing, dog, obviously. And we talk to the customer and let them know that something happened. And we try to resolve the situation at that point. Right. So if it's, if it's like a, an environmental factor that, that's likely the cause of this, like a, a trip hazard or, or like you said, ice, um, then you can maybe get the ball rolling to get that fixed. Um, I, it's worth noting that we're both letter carriers, so of course our perspective is a little bit more on street focus, but the same process applies if you're in like a plant setting or a, a mail processing facility. Um, so an incident happens where someone is injured or is nearly injured, and then often they will just stop, get everyone to stop what they're doing so that they can bring the committee in to look at the scene, see what's going on, and see what was the cause. Um, before they kind of carry on with work because things can change really rapidly. Right. And if it's not your normal work area, then they should be finding out who is in that normal work area and find out if what happened was usual or if equipment was out of the, different for some reason um, and just figure out what's going on there. Uh, 
But uh, when we talk to the customer, uh, if we can't resolve the situation immediately, um, they should be cutting off mail at that point, letting the person know. They should have, supervisors should have paperwork with them all the time. 99% of the time they don't, but they should have things like dog warnings and snow clearance warnings and, uh, and mail cutoff notices and stuff like that. So then give it to the customer at the time. Uh, dogs, they have to give a letter of assurance. Usually the homeowner will have to sign off that they're aware and they will keep the dog safe from then on. Uh, but all this paperwork should be presented to the customer. Uh, usually they don't. Um, so a lot of supervisors will avoid talking to the customer as much as possible. And it's their job to deal with the customer. I know we're a committee, but the supervisor should be the one dealing with the customers. Um, and we don't usually identify the person who was injured um, if you're, if you were the one injured and you're on the scene, we'll just say, Hey, we're a committee. You would not talk unless you actually advise you not to say anything and just let us handle it. Um, but we're not going to say, Hey, this person fell down because some customers are, some customers are very apologetic. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This happened and I'll get it fixed. But as soon as you say, what's well, this person there? Like, Oh, well, that person didn't do it right. And all of a sudden they have someone to blame. Um, plus some people just aren't comfortable with confrontation. And uh, it's, it's rare that confrontation happens, but it does occasionally. Uh, but if you choose to be there for the investigation, you're basically a witness. You're, you don't have to do anything except just witness, make sure um, any remedies we find are to your um, approval. And uh, just to know that we did a thorough job on everything and to make sure that the whole incident is understood to um, just exactly what happened so you do have the right to be there but you don't have to get involved really you're just an observer that's right it's absolutely your choice you have the right to be there all the way along and choose not to be and and really if you aren't there for the investigation it's to make sure that you can describe um the scene and how you were moving through the environment and, and how the incident took place really because right. uh, if you get together later we're just kind of guessing right Right. And it's not bad to be there because the supervisors will try and twist things all the time and uh, try and make it sound like your fault, try and place the blame more heavily on you. And it's good sometimes there just to make sure the record's clear. Another thing the, the supervisors are supposed to have with them is a modified duties form. They should always have this with them and they almost never do. Um, because usually if you have an incident on scene and you're going to get medical, you're going to go to the doctor's office from the scene. Sometimes you go back to the depot, sometimes you won't, but you go to the doctor's office right away and you need that modified duty form. Uh, and they should be giving it to you on scene. Quite often they don't. Um, I've heard supervisors try and talk you out of going. They'll try and shame you quite a bit. They'll be like, are you sure it's kind of minor? Do you need to go? Yes, you do. If, you, if there's any doubt, you need to go to the doctor, especially for WCB, because that's what they're trying to avoid. They don't want you to take WCB. Um, Whereas their primary concern should be your health and safety, not their paperwork or not their bottom line. But uh, you should never be afraid to ask or demand that form. If they say they don't have it or whatever, they're delaying you getting medical attention. That's not acceptable. If they say you have to come back to the depot to get that form, no, you don't. Um, if you can, it saves you some trouble but they can't order you to do that. If you need to go to medical, you need to go to medical, period. And don't let them try and shame you or, or downplay the injury if you need medical. Uh, get whatever note you need. 
they will often say it's not enough if it's not in their official form. But if they send you back to the doctor to get their official form, then that's three hours paid they have to give you to do that because they're ordering you to go to the doctor, which is in the urban contract at least. If you get just get a generic note from the doctor, legally they have to honor that, they should have to honor that just because it's not in their format, does not invalidate that note or those doctor's instructions, but they can order you to go back and get it on their form. But uh, it's a pain if you're off work because of your injury, but if you're back at work, don't make them do, or don't let them convince you to do that on your own time. That's three hours off work. They have to give you to do that. I believe so, but I'm not 100%. Sorry, I don't know what this in my head. Okay, we'll just leave it at me saying urban at least. Um, okay. Where do we go after that? Um, I, I actually advise members of health and safety committees to get that form. I personally scanned it onto my cloud. And if a member is considering going for medical, I, I will email it to them or text it to them or whatever. And, if, and then they can forward it to their doctor and the doctor can print it and fill it out because Sometimes the supervisors are difficult and it is their responsibility to provide that form, but I would rather see the member get their medical straightened out uh, than go through all the runaround of going back to the doctor two or three times to get everything sorted. And I actually had this conversation with someone uh, this last week about whether the doctor's note was the same as the modified duties form. And I think the the argument is somewhat valid that um, the modified duties form gives a better understanding of what our duties can be at work. Um, it's very specific about how much time you can spend standing or walking and how much weight you can lift and, and those kinds of things that might allow you to do some of your normal workday duties, but not all of them. Or um, you might have, like, you might have a distance limit, you might have a time limit, you might have a weight limit. Any of those things or any combination of those things can happen and um, once you have it filled out that's not a, a be all and end all you can always go back and and get a new one as your abilities change like as you start to heal you might go from being able to do a third of your day or being able to lift 10 pounds to being able to lift 20 pounds right um, so you can always go back and have the doctor fill it out again and uh, it's also worth noting that there the the old forms had a direct billing address on the bottom and often supervisors will give the form that doesn't have that. Uh, the one I share with members has that on the bottom so that your doctor can just direct bill and they don't charge you the $20 or whatever their fee is for filling out the medical form. Right, that little note at the bottom that says they can direct bill the corporation for the note, which uh, can be pricey in some places. It has several times disappeared from the form and we'll call them on it and they'll say, oh, that was an accident. It was accidentally deleted and they'll put it back on. And then two months later, it'll disappear again. And there's no way it's an accident. They just keep removing that and hoping they don't get direct billed uh, just by the sheer number of times it happened and their excuses don't work. But uh, the form is specific to some of the things we do, but it's also written very vague. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not the best form. Your doctor can write anything they want in those spaces. You know, um, it's some of it seems very specific to our job, but only because we know our job. To someone who's not as familiar, like your medical, uh, like your medical attendant, it's not that 
they may not fully realize what exactly they're signing off on. So don't be afraid to uh, give the doctor more specifics or even ask like, hey, is this okay? And if not, can you write that in? Because they will be very specific. Um, one of the things it says is they can do two thirds or one third of a route or whatever. Um, but do they mean two thirds or one third of a day? If there's bad weather and heavy loads, the doctor might be thinking, oh, I'm giving him two or four hours of work, whereas actually it's six hours. And you know what the doctor intends and what you get are different. So don't be afraid to clarify with your doctor because the form is specific, but also vague at the same time. I often advise people to uh, go to the, when they go to their doctor and describe the injury to also describe their standard work day. Like, what does it look like? How much time do you spend in which activities? How far are you walking? How much weight are you lifting? How far are you even driving? Because some injuries, just just driving is difficult or painful or even impossible. So um, it uh, it amazes me how often you go into a doctor's office and they ask you how far you walk in a day and you tell them and they're stunned. Mm -hmm. So don't assume that they know. Right. So anyway, that's pretty much the beginning of the investigation. We show up, we make sure you're okay. We check for the cause and the scene, uh, talk to the customer, try and resolve the situation on scene if we can, and then make sure you have the proper paperwork to take to your doctor and, uh, and get everything moving from there. After that, to, sorry, go ahead. Um, speaking of paperwork that your supervisor should be bringing to the investigation, we talked about the modified duties form, but we've also had a number of incidents in our local, at least, where the supervisors have um, encouraged members to apply for short-term disability in cases of injury rather than applying to WCB. If you're injured at work, WCB should cover the injury. They cover more of your pay than the short-term disability plan. The short-term disability plan is only 70%, and that's why management encourages you to use it over WCB. Also, it doesn't look as bad on their uh, reporting of injuries. So they're, they're always trying to push people onto that short-term disability plan uh, rather than using WCB. And you are entitled to WCB, and you should be using it. And they don't need to bring you a form. You can fill it out online or you can print it from online. It's called a W-1. All you have to do is when you go to your medical, um, you tell your supervisor you're applying for WCB. And when you go to your doctor, you tell them it's a workplace injury and they will fill out forms for WCB as well. So at three different people are going to fill out forms there. You, your doctor, and your supervisor. And you'll be covered. Right. And then again, we're in Saskatchewan. So it might be a little difference in other provinces, but WCB here does pay quite a bit better than short-term disability and SGI or uh, motor license insurer in the province uh, pays even better than that. So if it's a motor vehicle accident, you actually want to go through the SGI, Saskatchewan government insurance over WCB. Once all the uh, investigation is done and the paperwork's done, uh, usually at that point it's closed. But then we have our monthly local joint health and safety committee meetings, and we will review all the incidents. Um, usually at that point or before that, they will give us a SEER, a supervisor's investigation incident report that kind of describes the incident. We review that. We make sure that's all accurate. Um, quite often it's not. And there always has a field 
that says, what was the cause? And I think I've mentioned this before, the supervisors have come to me and said, what cause can I possibly put here that won't blame the employee? There isn't one. The system is set up that the supervisors cannot pick an option. There is no option to pick that doesn't blame the employee. Um, so we often put notes on there and we are allowed to put our comments on there that say we don't agree with this or this is wrong. Um, or we can refuse to sign it if it's completely off, which I have done. Um, but that's pretty much it. We get that report at the end and we sign it. Uh, in, not in every case, but a lot of times, uh, especially if something's not 100% clear, we're not sure on something, we'll bring it to the employee and have them read it as well. Just say, hey, is this everything that happened and everything's good here? And we sign off and we review all the incidents in the meeting to see if there's a common trend. Um, maybe seven people slipped on ice that week for some reason uh, or, or whatever. And uh, we should be reviewing or we'll review everything and just go over in the meeting and again, look for responses. And then if we need to, or occasionally we'll say, hey, there's a real spike in this. Can we have something in the depot, some kind of plan or contest or whatever? to address this or make people aware of this and try and take some kind of preventive action in future. Yeah, that's kind of one of the other um, committee activities that the corporation will say to you, uh, we need to look at our WHCP, our uh, workplace hazard prevention program. And so you'll look at your injuries and uh, near misses and try to come up with activities that will educate people and, and get them thinking about those situations so that they can hopefully avoid future injuries. And often you'll review last year's numbers, last year's injuries, or even just the last quarter or uh, the upcoming quarter of last year to see what you can expect. Like obviously we're gonna have, um, at this time of year, we're gonna have lots of melting snow, lots of ice forming as it refreezes at night. And then in a few months as we get into summer, there's going to be a lot more dogs present in yards. So, so the hazards kind of change throughout, throughout the year, especially for outside work. Sometimes you look at those quarterly and definitely annually. We look at the WHPP. It spits out a lot of charts and graphs. Um, just this many uh, incidents happened in, you know, X many were ankles, X many were wrists, X many were head injuries. And, you know, so many were people that have been here for four years and so many people have been here for 10 or 20 years. And it's just a huge amount of information, no names attached to anything, no specifics. Um, some pretty useless information, but a lot of useful stuff, just so we can look at all the trends and come up with reasons or uh, things to focus on. And we have got actually quite a bit of useful information out of there. And, uh, and uh, for a while, reduced injuries for a while, or quite a bit just for a while reduced injuries quite a bit just based on that information uh health and safety has slid backwards a lot in the city the last year or two but uh for a while I was making some great gains based on that information uh alone sorry obviously we know uh the people involved who when we do the investigation but everything after that should be pretty anonymous even at the meetings we'll say hey bren investigated a incident where this happened but we leave the names out of it and everything beyond that if they want to uh, let the floor be aware that some incident happened no names uh, all the stats and data after the initial investigation have no names so it comes down to just how do we prevent this incident it's not how do we prevent kevin from having this incident it's how do we prevent uh 
dog bite incidences or whatever happened. So <laughs> at the start, it's pretty hard to make it anonymous because obviously we're there investigating it with you. But everything after that should be as anonymous as possible. Um, and the CUPW side really tries to push that because we, again, we don't want the focus on the person. We want the focus on preventing the injury in the future, right? Um, so we try and keep the focus on the incident and not the person. And that can be a real challenge when you're in meetings discussing uh, the fears and the, the incidents that happen because you often, you know the person and your co-worker, you've worked with them for years. Um, and you, you probably have a vested interest in them being okay. And so it's really hard to separate um, to separate their name out because, you know, they're a person in your mind. They're not just a number or an incident, right? So um, don't, don't blame yourself too much if you slip up and use the names. It's just it's something that we really struggle not to do because, because it, it steps away from not blaming, blaming the victim. Right. We even try and get away from the him or her and just the employee or, or the person kind of thing. Just so it's not even any clues. The management for a while was really trying to sneak any way they could to identify a person in. Uh, even when they were talking to the floor, they would say there was a, a slip and fall incident at 823 3rd Avenue North or something like that. Everybody knows whose route that is. You know, they'll say this happened yesterday. Well, everyone knows that person was here yesterday. So they're pretty much, without saying the name, telling you who it is. And uh, we've took a while. We got them out of that habit. Um, but we really do try and protect the privacy. People, it's on the committee generally know, but I've been in meetings where uh, several times where it's, oh, I didn't investigate that one and I have no clue who it is and don't wanna know and never was told, I'm, you know. So even within the committee, we try, it's hard sometimes because we're all investigating everything, but uh, we try and protect the privacy as much as possible. Um, I think that's about it. That's what we do when someone gets hurt. Do you have anything else, Brian? So I was just going to say that a lot of times on the committee, we do, we do talk to each other about incidents. Even if, even if one of us isn't there to investigate, we often discuss it with the other members of the committee because we want them to be informed and up to date in case that member comes to them with concerns about the investigation or what the next steps are to try to get um, the modified duties or accommodation or um, just to make sure that their rights are protected. Because it's amazing how often uh, the procedure isn't followed and a grievance ensues because either CUPW wasn't present at the investigation or the injured party was made to feel like uh, they were being blamed, uh, so essentially victim blaming, um, or just that the corporate manual systems that, that's very specific about these incidents and how they're supposed to be investigated is not followed. Yeah, I find the biggest problem is the supervisor will try and rush the investigation as much as possible. They don't want to talk to the customer. They don't really want to look into anything except, okay, found why it's your fault and now we're going and they barely investigate anything and then try and write this big, long, detailed report that's all made up. And the number of errors is astounding because they never bothered to investigate or they'll come up with these other details and you'll say, where'd you come up with this? Oh, I talked to the person afterwards. Well, you mm -hmm. can't do that without El Josh. Um, and they're really counting on the membership not knowing their rights. And uh, they do, at least here, attempt to abuse that process as much as possible. I shouldn't say they're attempting to ab abuse it. I think it's more out of laziness than anything. 
they're just trying to get off the street as quick as possible and do it when it's convenient and when they're filling out the report then they think of something that they should have done but didn't um, so we try and make it as thorough as possible uh, on route so that doesn't happen but if they're questioning you for anything uh, you need a shop steward there uh, especially if it's something you know they could have asked there may be a very good reason in their mind why they're asking you later just to avoid us and uh, that's not acceptable at all um, yeah if there's something they could have and should have asked you on the scene and they're asking you later without us there could be a reason for that and you might want to have someone present yeah sometimes they put a lot of uh, seemingly random information into the uh your report so they'll put in things like how long you've been on the route which i guess if it's a new route that's that's pertinent but otherwise i don't see why it matters they'll also exclude a lot of information too um we had a vehicle slide into another vehicle about two years ago and they it was very icy out and they didn't want to put on the report that the tires had only an eighth of an inch of tread on them which was extremely relevant to the situation but they didn't want to put that because that shows their fault in the vehicles, not the employee's fault, and they want everything blamed on the employee. So again, we do get to write things on the report. That's part of our investigation. That's part of holding them to account. And uh, that kind of thing we'll do just to help cover your butts too, because they will try and, they call it not discipline, but they try and discipline and intimidate you with that um, at-risk employee program now, um, which is basically an intimidation campaign so you don't report things. But if we put things on the report um, to correct the information at the start, we can kind of cover your butt a little bit in that, which is also our job. Yeah, I want to say that the at-risk employees is designed for people who are are having a, a repeat injuries, but there seems to be no rhyme or reason to when they apply it. Like you'll have people who've had two injuries in 20 years, and then you'll have people who've had six injuries in two years, and they just seem to apply it whenever they possibly can. And it's yeah, they that they will do an interview with you and then they will do a walk along with you, I believe it's three times in three months to uh, observe your, your work behavior and make sure that you're working in a safe manner. You have the right to demand union presence there. They're not allowed to uh, force you to be alone with management. So, yeah, we did a whole podcast on that, uh, I think, early last season. It's hard to keep track of. Other thing I've seen happen, uh, especially lately after an incident, is that your supervisor will ask you to write a, a statement or a report of what happened. And that's perfectly valid. You can just take any old piece of paper or write an email or a text message or any written document, really and send it to them. I like to CC my local health and safety officer and uh, the local office themselves so that they have a record. And uh, it's just basically describe in your own words what happened, describe uh, how you may be injured, even if you don't think you are injured, describe any areas of impact, uh, anything that might've been twisted or or anything that could potentially be a, an injury later, because while you might feel good now, you might just have a lot of adrenaline in your system, and when you wake up tomorrow morning, it might not feel so good. I actually fell down at work yesterday, and uh, my head is not feeling great today. <laughs> so I'm really glad that I reported the incident. Um, I, I think I'm going to be fine long term, but it's still to protect your yourself and your paycheck. It's good to report every every incident and every near miss just in case it becomes more of a 
an injury than you think it is. Right, kind of forgot about that statement. Uh, that's part of the investigation and should also be reviewed by an LJOSH member, preferably before you even show it to the supervisor. Um, one word on that could either have you approved or denied from WCB. And sometimes it's something that you wouldn't even think of. So someone who's experienced in that, who uh, dealt with WCB or preferably whoever writes your appeals in the local, uh, but any LJOSH member should be reviewed before and they should not be taking that statement without an LJOSH member there um, because it's part of the investigation that we have to be included in. And uh, that should always be reviewed by LJOSH before you give it to the supervisor or at least be done in the presence of the member. And definitely, again, uh, we mentioned this in a past podcast, uh, there's one or two supervisors that'll want you to dictate it to them. Absolutely not. This is your statement and your writing. And again, one word can make a massive difference. And I've seen them, oh, I couldn't keep up, so I paraphrased. Absolutely unacceptable. Uh, that cannot happen. That's why I prefer to, to email mine or text mine in because then I have a copy, they have a copy, right? And um, you have to kind of treat it like, you know, when they teach you how to write a news story, who, it's you, where, what, then, you know, like, when did it happen? Where were you? What happened? Um, if you have a, a cause, like it, if there was an icy surface and I slipped on it, you write that down too. You know, just like all of those basics need to be in there. Um, anything beyond that is kind of optional. I've also seen where the supervisors have this long form that has a ton of questions on it and it's weird, random things like what was the weather today and, and were you wearing your grips and what was the snow coverage and blah, 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 blah. It's like a seven-page form. And I've seen them ask the injured parties to fill that out. That's not your job. That's their job. You write your statement and you hand it to them. You don't have to fill out their form for them. So that's basically how an investigation goes when something happens and what we do with it and how it uh, affects our stats and our plans going forward in an LJOSH meeting. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you want that uh, modified duty form Brand was talking about earlier, just fire an email off to overburdenpod at gmail.com. I can probably share that form on our Facebook page as well. That would be great. Uh, so try not to get injured and so this isn't relevant <laughs> and uh hopefully we'll talk to a healthy you next week have a good week